Let's uh, bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray for ourselves, what Mark just prayed uh, for our youngsters, that our teaching would not simply be for our heads, but be for our hearts and for the obedience of our lives. We ask it that Jesus Christ may be glorified through each one of us in the world he has made, that our rejoicing in Christ may be deeper, and the numbers of those who rejoice in Christ would be wider. Amen. Do please keep that uh, passage open if you've uh, been following it. Over half term, I went back up to the Wirral to collect the last of my uh, father's effects after his death last year. Uh, And I brought back various bags. I wasn't really sure what was in them. I got them home. And I discovered uh, in one of them uh, a booklet Uh, which had belonged to my mother, and I suspect it had belonged to her grandmother. Um, And it was a splendid um, uh, booklet uh, explaining how to undertake all kinds of household duties. Um, The one I remember from uh, seeing it when I was uh, a lad was it explains how to to take a bath. Um, I was so terrified of uh, chills in the days that this thing was written that there were instructions uh, to prepare... Um, a sort of cape-like structure uh, which went all the way around and you got into the bath, uh, about six inches of water, and you did everything that you had to do under the cape. There was no one else in the bathroom, so it can't have been an issue of modesty. I think it must just have been uh, protection so that you soaped yourself up and rinsed yourself up uh, off under the cape and then got out and dried yourself under the cape so that uh, there would be no uh, uh, wicked chills attacking your body. I suspect, when I look at it in more detail, I shall find all kinds of useful instructions for that season that is coming upon us. We've had glorious weather, and of course the thoughts of all of us have turned to spring cleaning. Do you remember spring cleaning? Uh, Sorry, for the Australians among us, that that for us happens now, okay? Um, The... uh, it's the kind of time of year there was that glorious warm day uh, in the middle of the week when all your windows suddenly looked very dirty because uh, the sun was coming in, uh, probably the same uh, today. It's the kind of time when you get a, a set of stairs and finally get to the top of the cupboards that haven't seen uh, a, a wash or a, a sponge for quite a long time. And I don't know what the kind of... I mean, you never quite know how these things come around. Lent and spring cleaning, in some ways, seem to go together. And as we've entered the season of Lent, it doesn't seem a bad time that our first Sunday uh, in, in Lent should be looking at, looking at uh, the church to do a bit of spring cleaning. It's kind of the equivalent of what's on the top of the cupboards. Just like you didn't walk into your kitchen this morning, and uh, the first thing you, you did was not to look at the top of the cupboards. Nonetheless, they're there, and you know that they'll need attention eventually. Similarly... We came in from very busy weeks, I'm sure, today, and we didn't think, as we came in, that what we expected to hear about was uh, attention to the teaching and preaching that goes on in our church. Perhaps there were things that are for you much more urgent, much more important uh, at the top of your mind right now than the quality of teaching and preaching in your local church. And yet that's how uh, St. Paul is directing our thoughts in our series in 1 Timothy uh, this morning, entirely uh, coincidentally for Lent, but it's not a bad thing. 
But I invite us to see it in those terms, because otherwise there might be a danger that we come in with those things at the top of our mind that we had and say, oh, that doesn't really apply to me. We've all heard the story of the, um, <clears throat> the frog that theoretically uh, you can uh, kill by putting into a uh, pan of cold water and just raising the temperature, and apparently we're told the frog won't actually jump out. It will just take the increase in temperature until it expires. Uh, the danger in something like the preaching and teaching in a church can be that if things don't go quite right, and then they go a little further not quite right, the danger is that we don't really notice. We just stay around and things uh, deteriorate. And Paul is uh, addressing that today. I remember my predecessor, uh, Keith White, uh, saying that it was a, uh, something that Holy Trinity had to be particularly vigilant about because he could remember a day when a missionary speaker, and as far as I know, it's not any of those who would currently uh, come, came and preached a ta- appalling tosh uh, from the pulpit. But because Holy Trinity was so used to getting good biblical preaching, everyone just assumed that if it was up there, then it must be good biblical preaching. And, and, and there is that sense that we should never rest on any sense that we're an evangelical church or we, we honor the Bible and therefore we're likely more to get it right. There are some particular dangers that attach to us. So do turn to page 1193. It's not often I get to preach about me. Um, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Uh, The word recognition in uh, verse 3 of that chapter is the same as the word uh, honor. Uh, And in the context there, uh, it means uh, give her the money she needs to get by. So if it says those whose work is preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor... we are faced with some interesting uh, inquiry into Scripture. Uh, You will be glad to know that it does not mean uh, pay the vicar double. What it means, uh, and if you've been through the series, you'll remember that there was this other word, overseer, earlier on. It looks as though at the time, and perhaps just in Ephesus, so we can't take it as kind of the way things always are to be, there was a a group of leaders uh, within the life of the church, and they were responsible for uh, directing, the, governing the church. Within that, some of them had particular responsibility for teaching and preaching. And within that, there was an overseer. Uh, we would translate that now a bishop, but that would, that would be using the wrong kind of word for the wrong kind of times. Uh, a person who had particular responsibility for guarding the teaching and preaching within the church. So you've got this group of people who are to be uh, honoured doubly. And I I suspect, using the the way they would have used the word, what it means is, uh, yes, those who have particular responsibilities, they should receive some pay. But the double honour is they should get pay, and they should also be honoured for the work they do. Again, if you've been in the series with us, you'll know that many of the teachers 
that were around the scene in Ephesus were false teachers. Paul is uh, battling through Timothy for control of this church that is, is in danger of going adrift. And he knows how important it is that those who are preaching rightly, teaching rightly, are actually fully honoured. So reward it financially, but also honour it and do what they say. It may be that from these stories of greed that we hear around the false teachers, that because there was no pay for those who were teaching and preaching, what was happening is that they were going around from house to house Uh, sort of looking for little backhanders. Instead of which, Paul says, no, look, uh, make it a public affair. Uh, Honour them rightly, because after all, uh, and the word in 17, whose work is preaching and teaching, the word is hard work, it's labour. It is hard work to do uh, preaching and teaching. And so it is. And perhaps it's just, uh, as we go through this passage, there'll be just uh, occasional moments where we can just uh, take a bit of a tangent. I think this is fair enough to point out, that there's this body of leaders, some of whom preach, and one of whom is an overseer. And as I was thinking, partly I suppose because I've had a meeting with uh, those who look after the small groups uh, this week, I was thinking, well, what should, if you're a small group leader here today, it's quite possible that we have a number of them. Uh, what kind of role should be considered, uh, where would you fit in that kind of environment? Well, it's quite clear that uh, those would be leaders in the kind of terms that Paul is talking about here, but not necessarily that they would be teachers. I don't suppose we'd find many uh, small group leaders if we laid on them the burden of the labour of teaching and preaching. It is a labour. And if it's a labour... It's a lot to ask. No, no doubt if you wanted to pay all the small group leaders, we could set them aside from their day jobs to do so. But uh, the, we don't have that indication from us all just yet. But leaders in a kind of small group environment may take responsibility in the way that this is, for directing the affairs of the church, for, for guiding the learning that happens within a small group. Although... Uh, others may teach, it will be the leaders that are responsible for discerning uh, whether what's going on is right and helpful. Uh, Timothy is not being addressed within this context as a local church leader. And that means that in many ways, uh, he's not being talked to as though he was uh, like a vicar. He's being talked to as though he's simply a representative of the congregation. So as we go into the rest of the passage, I want you to recognize that this is for you. This was for Timothy. But although it talks about the the preaching and the teaching, it's mostly around how you make sure that what happens up here is helpful. Uh, We're told, uh, uh, with two witnesses, uh, the scripture, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain, and then what Jesus himself said, the worker deserves his wages. Those are in verse 18. Always a good uh, scriptural principle itself to have two witnesses. Paul calls on those two witnesses to say, it's okay to pay these guys. Uh, And I suspect that that's partly in response, as I said, to what's going on with the false teachers. And everything else that's going on is to ensure that in a difficult environment, 
uh, Timothy is able to do the best job of discerning and re-establishing good teaching as he can. So, verse 19, don't entertain an accusation against an elder, same word as leader earlier, unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Again, good uh, scriptural Old Testament principle. Don't, in a serious way, don't entertain an accusation. Don't just put a, a, a leader up if they are, have responsibilities and say, oh, well, one person has said something. There needs to be a sense of a body to, of, of opinion so that you're not just reacting to what one person who may have a, a beef against a, a leader is on about. But if we extend that, then what it also means is don't gossip about uh, the leaders. Because if there's something that needs saying by two or three witnesses, th- there's that danger then that things just go round by rumour. And reputations can be destroyed in churches by rumour. Uh, if there's an issue, take it to the senior leaders. Uh, and in our church, that would be uh, the church wardens. Carol's just uh, read for us. Paul was on duty uh, in the morning. Uh, take it to a senior leader and look for it to be substantiated. Don't, don't gossip. Don't Take it where it needs to go. That, I suppose, is the point. One of the challenges in any church is that we avoid talking to those who are responsible, but talk instead to those we think will agree with us. So, watch your behavior around leaders. Secondly, watch your discipline. Verse 20, those who sin, and in this case that's very much to do with the false teachers. They were teaching wrongly, but they were, they, their behavior was showing up in uh, greed, in quarreling. Uh, those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. Well, there's a, a difference from today. In May of last year, the polling organization, YouGov, uh, asked about 3,000 people this question. Would it be legitimate for the press to report on cases where 10 categories of individual have been unfaithful to their spouse? Uh, I'll I'll give you some figures and then you can decide where they put clergy. Uh, A politician, 70% said they would uh, want to read reports of unfaithful politicians. A counsellor, 62%. Professional footballer, 59%. A television presenter, 55%. A normal member of the public, 30%. So the top was a politician at 70. The bottom was a normal member of the public at 30. Where do you reckon they might have put clergy? Not quite, but pretty close to the top. Yep. Uh, Politician, 70 Local clergy was 64. People do still expect a public holding up of a certain standard. Even if they don't follow it themselves, they do expect that the church will observe certain standards. And if they expect that the church will observe certain standards, then the church had better be careful that it responds to that uh, awareness Certainly in the rest of 1 Timothy up to now, we've seen time and again that sense of him saying, look, don't don't get into trouble for the wrong things in the face of the world. Get into trouble for the right things. 
but not for the wrong ones. So, if there is a breach in the church's public witness, then it's important that the church take it seriously and publicly so that the others may take warning. But one of the words I just draw your attention to there is the word rebuke. I mean, obviously one tends to hear about uh, terrible cases, uh, often ones that make headlines. And quite often what we see is not rebuke as the end of the matter. Rebuke to me speaks of a community that's sorting it out speaks of a holding in the community. But sadly, anything that is public often leads either to the community casting someone out or to the individual saying, I don't need this, I'm off. But the word rebuke suggests that for Paul, a godly community copes with sin and manages rebuke in a context that's about grace and about a longing that the fellowship should continue and that the breach should be repaired, should be healed. So watch your discipline then. Then watch your integrity. Uh, Verses 21 onwards, uh, kind of after the damage has happened, if people have had to be um, released and put away from public ministry, uh, Paul is concerned how you replace them. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality. Do nothing out of favoritism. Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, calling people to new ministry. And don't share in the sins of others. Now, this seems to me is where the biggest area where a local congregation comes in. Watch your integrity as a community with responsibilities partly because I've got slightly wider responsibilities now in the Church of England, I I do hear some of the stories of disasters that happen uh, in churches. Sometimes they're, they're things I have to take kind of formal account of. And then there's always the challenge of how does the community cope? How do they call someone else? Not just either repeating the same problem or swinging wildly and likely to Uh, get into the opposite kind of problem. Watch your integrity. There's uh, one main uh, way of doing that that Paul talks about and one smaller way, particular probably to Timothy. First of all, keep yourself pure. I can't see any reason to restrict what that means. Certainly earlier on, pure has meant for Timothy, watch it with young women. That's been very specific uh, to Timothy. But there's also been issues of greed. So what, you know, don't be greedy. Uh, some of the, if you, if you took 1 Timothy and said, on the basis of 1 Timothy, I want to understand what purity means, you could do a lot worse. Go through 1 Timothy and say, okay, it means doing this, means doing this, means doing this, means not doing this, not doing this, not doing that. It would pretty much work for you as a list of what purity is all about. But don't get... Obsessive, what, what we call legalistic. Don't start to, to be ruled by rules instead of being ruled by God. And one of the ways that that may have been happening for Timothy is that he was drinking only water. 
water, as you may realize, is a very, very dodgy substance. Certainly it was in those days. You had to be extremely careful with water. One of the best things you could do with water was to mix it with some wine, which had an antiseptic uh, effect and would kill off uh, some of the bugs. So, Paul says, look, you, you're, you're not, you, you've got a delicate stomach at the best of times, so stop drinking only water and use a little wine. There's no way, incidentally, that that can be used as anything to do with the argument that always goes on around churches uh, about alcohol. Uh, Paul is being very specific here. If you want to have an argument about alcohol, don't use this first. You'd have to go somewhere else. He's talking about alcohol medically, uh, practically, uh, as he talks to Timothy here. So we can't really use it in that way. But what he's saying is, it may be that you've been scared by these false teachers who are saying, avoid marriage, avoid meat. They're probably saying, avoid wine. You may have been scared by all of this into saying, I can't go near any of this stuff. And Paul's saying, don't be ridiculous. Have the courage of what Christ has done. Don't, don't, uh, don't panic about things that are forbidden to you. They're not. Uh, don't drink only water. Take, in your case, uh, a little wine. Uh, everything's getting too rule-bound over in, es- in Ephesus. So yes, keep yourself pure, but remember not to be bound by rules. Watch your in- uh, gossip, watch your discipline, watch your integrity, and then watch your calling of others. Verses 24 and 25, the sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. Meaning, you won't necessarily know. You might appoint someone and discover only later that there's a challenge that they should have faced. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, meaning the same kind of discussion. Good deeds are obvious, and they will surface uh, eventually. Even those that are, are not obvious cannot be hidden in the long term. So what's your calling of others? Don't worry too much. Don't be obsessive. You will find sometimes that problems crop up that you didn't know at the time. You will sometimes find that good things crop up later on that you didn't know at the time. But be attentive in your calling of others. Well, that's what it says come to the beginning of six in a a little while. That's what it says. But really, does it matter? Does it matter what Paul said to Timothy all that time ago about running a church in Ephesus? How important is church teaching? Uh, Every now and then, I get an inquiry saying, could we do teaching differently? Could we have uh, a question time after the sermon. I say, yes, make it happen. Uh, Or could we handle things interactively? I say, no. Uh, Why do I do that? Because I want to guard the place of preaching and teaching. It's very important we recognize that this is so contrary to the temper of the times we live in. Everyone who's trained as a teacher of, uh, whether it's university students or whether it's in schools, is learning these days about interaction, about how how much there is to discover that's already latent in the person who is being taught. Preaching and teaching uh, operates out of a completely different model, uh, that we are all sinners, that as Calvin said, the human heart 
is a factory for making idols. And therefore, we need the authority of God to come up to our hearts and rebuke us and to correct that preference for ignoring his truth that will always be in our hearts and minds. The word of God matters. It was in the beginning. Through the word, everything was made. So I'm very happy that we should have things like questions. I'm very happy that small groups explore further what preaching and teaching might mean. I'm not happy that we should proceed by something that nibbles away at the principle that uh, we are all under the authority of the Word of God. But it still leaves us with a problem because it is so alien to our culture. We are very aware, at least if we're remotely sensitive, we ought to be aware of the gap between our ambition as we read God's Word and our performance. But the question is what we do about that gap. So often the response of the world, and therefore in some cases the church, is that God will understand, so we lower our ambition to what we already achieve in performance. Instead of which, we should be saying in response to that gap between ambition and performance, ah, no, Christ has paid for the gap because that's our sin. We shouldn't respond to authority by changing our message to adjust ambition down to performance. We respond by raising up our performance to our ambition and living by grace in the knowledge of our failures. This is a passage in which Timothy is charged in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. And in those, the world does not believe. Maybe in God, but not that there's a God who, uh, who sees, who we can say, of whom we can say, in the sight of God. Some of you uh, will, with me, have watched what I think we'd have to say was an inconclusive uh, test match uh, yesterday afternoon uh, between uh, Wales and England. Technically, Wales won. Um... <laughs> And I can say that because I'm not seeing Frank Tucker until the St. David's Day service this afternoon. Uh, but if you look at some, a performance like that, what, what's most important, the manager or the players? Well, of course, it's a meaningless question. You need both to be functioning. And what a passage like this tells us is the world needs a witness where the ambition bar is set high a witness in which the church has terrific teachers and also amazing obeyers. We can't say, well, it's okay if the manager is, is fine, but the players uh, aren't very good. Neither can we say, well, the players are terrific, but the management's rubbish. The team won't work. Let's accept what Scripture itself is telling us and set the bar high. And if any of us is tempted to congratulate ourselves because we have not been caught out in a public sin, let's remember what St. Paul also said. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. We're reminded in verse 24 here of judgment. And as we 
begin to conclude. What I want to register, a bit like the spring cleaning, is if you don't do any spring cleaning, eventually it will matter. Eventually it will show up uh, in your kitchen. If we don't pay attention to the quality of our leadership, it may not matter Sunday by the next Sunday, like the frog in the water, but eventually it will make a huge difference. This is about the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. This is about judgment. People have died and are dying for the truth of Scripture as it is to be preached and taught in the world. If you take seriously what those verses say, it says that people are condemned by God, have been condemned by God for getting it wrong, have come under judgment. So if we are summoned to good preaching and teaching and to the obeying, the following, not obeying, following of good preaching and teaching, then we have to say it is to be honored and adorned. And then that's illustrated for me finally, just in those last couple of verses. Paul has talked about widows, he's talked about um, leaders, and then, uh, sadly it's obscured again, in verse 1 of chapter 6, all who under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full, what's the word? It's honor. Again, these passages linked by the word honor, here respect. It's this business again of, of shock the world in the right way. Let's not, have the, uh, let's not have the church of God shocking the world by outrageous sin. However, let us have the church of God shocking the world by relationships between masters and slaves and translate that into all kinds of relationships, uh, your, you and your boss, uh, or you as a boss perhaps with workers, uh, by having a shocking quality of relationship in which resentment is not at the heart of it, in which office gossip is not at the heart of it, in which you actually say occasionally that you like your boss or that your boss occasionally may say that he or she likes his, work, his or her workers. Shock the world in the right way. Be subversive because Jesus Christ has become Lord and compared to that lordship, nothing else matters. Shock the world in the right way, not in the wrong way. Let's pray for ourselves as we close. Lord God, we thank you that you have, over years, kept safe so many churches from scandal, from the kind of breach of public witness by their current leaders that uh, causes polls like that to be taken. We thank you, as, as I often do thank you, for those who Sunday by Sunday count our money so that the counting of money and issues of greed and embezzlement are never something that we have to worry about because we can trust those involved. But we pray, we don't want to take it for granted, and we pray that you would keep our behavior as a church godly and always grant us the gifts raised up either from among us or brought to us of good preaching and teaching. And as we pray for that 
that set of gifts to be operative. We pray for obedient hearts too, to follow the teaching of Jesus Christ, for we ask it in his name. Amen.